podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Well, hello, everyone. This is Susan Johnston. Some people say I'm a media futurist. Some people say I am a fun adventurer. But I will tell you that I love story and I love technology, and I'm really happy to be here with you today. Susan Johnston, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Yay! (laughs) Yay, indeed. Um, I think you found a very succinct way to describe yourself and what you do. The fact of the matter is, is you've worn every hat at some point or another over the span of your career, even going back to childhood in film. And so I'd love to read from a bio uh, to give this audience a better sense of who you are and where you've been before we get started. And like I always say, this is the internet. So if I have anything incorrect, feel free to amend to the reading and, and correct where I've gone wrong. Uh, you know, make me pay for my sins. Susan Johnston, known as a media futurist, is president of Select Services Film, Inc., an award-winning production company, and is founder, director of New Media Film Festival. Her first film, a 35-millimeter color film noir short, Room 32, which I watched was great, which won two awards, received distribution, and was requested by Spider-Man 3 for their production team. Susan founded the critically acclaimed New Media Film Festival in 2009 to honor stories worth telling in the ever-changing landscape of media and new media. Legendary judges call over the content for the annual festival in Los Angeles that offers screening, competition, and distribution opportunities If you do well in this competition, you can get up to $45,000 in awards. So that's incredible. There are currently over 600 titles in their library. Johnston has a background in the traditional film and television industry, but has also become known in recent years as a pioneering new media producer, including Stan Lee's Kamikaze Expo panel for independent creators, co-producing feature film Dreams Awake, and currently producing the Marvel comic feature, Prey, Origin of the Species. While the industry was changing from standard def to HD, Johnston produced the first series for mobile, titled Mini Bikers, and the first live stream talk show on HD with a Panasonic Veracam, and tested the Panasonic DVX-100, which led to some changes on the DVX-100A and was on a committee to develop the SAG internet contract with Pierre Debs of SAG. She's a member of the Academy of Television, Arts and Sciences, SAG-AFTRA, BMI, the Caucus of New Media Writers, Directors, Producers, SET Awards Board, Computer and Animation Society Board, Professor Emeritus New Media, and believe it or not, she was knighted in 2017. Susan. Okay. Unbelievable. Okay. So just imagine that your parents are divorced. 
and they don't believe in babysitters, so they take you to work. Yeah. That's how come I've done a lot. And then I get bored really easy. Um, so pretty much all of that is correct, except um, SDT, uh, that board is no longer around. And I did remove myself from the caucus one um, for reasons that we won't discuss out loud. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that. We'll take that offline. Uh, I, I do want to start there, though. I want to start when you were young. I, I'm curious about how this all began. Uh, do, what do you remember oh, about God, the... <laughs> well, what do you remember about the 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 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and and why it meant so much to you after watching it? Well, oh, well, I want okay. Actually, so I wanted to win a golden ticket. I was one of those people that you know would sit by the telephone and dialed for the radio to win a T-shirt. Yeah. Um, and I won once, but I was screaming so loud they couldn't hear who I was, and they went to another caller. Um, I just think, well, it has to be the Gene Wilder version. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. It's, it's, it's how I see life. I mean, I see life through adventure and fantasy. Like, I would have went swimming in the chocolate, too. You did, know? You, did you feel badly for any of those children? Or did you feel like, um, was there a lesson that you got at that time? Or was it kind of over your head? Uh, what the lesson was is that poor people have a chance. Mm. I love that. I love that. I mean, people don't know this, but you know, there was a point where I lived in a community where I was the only white one and the black ones wanted to beat me up and I didn't want to beat them up. And my dad said I had to, and I said, no, (laughs) you know, get it, you know, and then he saved two kids from a fire and then all of a sudden everybody liked us. And I went, okay, well, that's wrong. You should just because, you know, I'm a kid. Um, so, you know, okay. So in and is this in Rhode Island? This, yeah, this is in Rhode Island. Okay. And okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take people way back. So this was when they had incinerators and you would open up a metal door and you would throw your garbage in and flames would come up. I mean, I loved that. <laughs> I broke my wrist swinging from clotheslines. I yeah. mean, that's the kind of kid I was like, they used to tell me, give her a paper bag. She, she can entertain herself. So, so I really think Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory is how I see life. I would have pressed the button in the elevator. Right. You know, there's like right. just out about it. Um, uh, so shine a good deed in a weary world. When, Willy, when Jean Willy Wonka puts his hand on the everlasting gobstopper, I have an ever. I have an everlasting gobstopper. I have the behind the scenes book that the director signed and he gave me two golden tickets. That is amazing. Uh, that yeah. movie for me is Princess Bride. And okay. right behind me over this shoulder, I have a leather bound sort of gold lettered uh, book version of Princess Bride. Um, oh. Yeah. That uh, I got as a gift, amazing gift from my co-founder and, and, best buddy nick uh, for christmas i have uh, a vinyl of the soundtrack <laughs> as well behind me and i've got some iocane powder right here to my left believe it or not so oh, uh, me and you are kindred spirits in that way um but it shows what, you the power of movies oh god exactly exactly and the power of advertising and that's why it's so important Oh, we, we, we're, yep. we're, I heard that <laughs> yeah, we're, we're speaking the same language already. Um, what do you remember about being on the set of the great Gatsby? 
I so I remember it to this day because um, it was a lush lawn, and I always loved walking barefoot in grass, always. Um, and so I was sitting on the lawn with other kids. So my dad was like, go over there and play. From my understanding, he brought in antique cars. Mm. Uh, but he always took me to work, so that wasn't a big deal for me. So he said, um, you know, go over there and play with kids. And I remember sitting on this, like, grassy knoll and this, you know, this big building behind me, which was a, a mansion. And then the sun was over here. And I just saw this. I just, I know it's going to sound weird, but energetically, I saw someone moving towards me. And I just oh, wow. watched him. And it was Robert Redford. And he, <laughs> and he came over and he said hi to all of us. But I distinctly remember that. I don't remember anything else. I don't remember the drive there. I don't remember the drive home. I don't remember eating. I don't remember <laughs> but that. But it's a, it's a fun memory. I mean, I have I have other ones. I played tambourine on stage because he was doing something with Slim Pickens. I um I met Joe Frazier in a, a wardrobe trailer, you know, and he's a gentleman, and he got up to to say hi to me, and he was like this big, and I was this little, right, you know. Um, so fun stuff. He, my dad took me to Joe Namath's football camp. Um, my mom took me to Dion Warwick and the Temptations and Gladys Knight and the Pips. So, I mean, I had a childhood that's crazy unbelievable, both good and bad. And, um, and I thought the whole world lived like that. Yeah. You, you've had a set of yeah. adventures that would fill up other people's entire lifetimes. And you had that just in your childhood alone. And you know, Robert Redford's so handsome. His aura hits yeah. you first and then he shows up. you like, you start to feel some energy and then you look up and it's like, Oh my God, Robert Redford's right there. Of course well, he is. I will tell you that Clint Eastwood's like that as well. And <laughs> I got to meet Clint Eastwood as well. And he swaggers. So that was very interesting. Yeah, Clint's a, Clint's a special, special guy. And that, I'd love to see someone do a really a great, thoughtful documentary on him before, you know, that way he can get his roses while he's still here, as the kids say. You know, you give, know the, give the man his flowers while he's here. Daughter Allison is a filmmaker. I mean, I know someone who knows her, so I can, I can, I, I'll put that, I'll put that little birdie out there for you. Absolutely. You're the best. So who is Sherry Lansing and why is she so important? Oh, wow. Okay. So this was a fascinating story. So if everyone remembers, I grew up in theater, right? And mm -hmm. I'm also uh, method trained. So, you know, you are, you do it, you are. So I get this phone call and it said, I was in Rhode Island and it said, um, we need you in Lowell, Massachusetts, which I think is like an hour to an hour and a half away. I've been to Lowell. Uh, yeah. And you, you know, you have an audition. Mm -hmm. Okay. What am I doing? And I, so I have a 1950s body, you know, I'm curvy. I'm not long and lean. I'm not the twiggy. I'm not the, um, you know, so I'm not the five one, you know, size zero. So I get, I get period pieces. I, I would get a lot when I was acting a lot. And so um, I was like, okay, what am I doing? They go, you're going to a sock hop. So I immediately went to Thayer Street, uh, which is over near Brown University in RISD. And they have an Army-Navy surplus store and they have um, they have this like vintage shop upstairs. So I went upstairs. I said, I need 50s clothes. And like I bought a top and a skirt. And I'm telling you, like I did this in five minutes and immediately went to the audition. I always had 
um, headshots and resumes in my car. I was always ready. I literally walk in and I saw Sylvia Faye. So if anyone Googles her, she's like old big time, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm standing in front of Sylvia and the phone rings and Sylvia goes, she was, someone was trying to say, wait, my girl's coming. And he goes, she said, well, why, why do I need to wait? I've got her standing right in front of me. So timing was everything just because I was there first. And so some guy takes me down the street and there's Sherry Lansing, but I really don't know who she is. And she's sitting in a chair and she gives me direction. So I just do it. And I was supposed to like um, walk around Brendan Trajan's character, but it was, you know, probably the AD, um, you know, and try to, you know, you know, flirt with him. And so she goes, why are you dressed like that? And I said, because I'm going to a stock call. <laughs> you know, and then she goes, And then so that same guy who walked me there walks me away and he gets a call and he goes, you got, he said, you got the role. And I started screaming and he goes, you're so cool. And I go, why am I cool? And he goes, because you screamed. He goes, most people are like, yeah, I got the the role. Yeah. 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 So, so, so she was pivotal because remember, this is back in the nineties. You did not see a lot of women on set. You just Mm. didn't. I mean, I worked on House Bitter. Um, oh, my God. I mean, just you can go to IMDb. You can see all the stuff in the 90s that I worked on. It was very, very rare, you know, to see a woman in a, in a position like that. So I noticed her. Um, she just, um, what I liked about her is there was no BS. Do you know what I mean? There was no yeah. pretense. It was just, you know, it was like me saying, can I have the stapler? <laughs> you know, it wasn't got me the stapler, you, you know, that difference in tone and, you know, come to find out, you know, who she was. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. And who was she for the audience? Uh, president of, I think, Paramount at the time, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It's a great lesson because um, yeah, one you of never the, know who you're dealing with. Exactly. Be nice because you never know who you're dealing with and be on time, which is one of the tips you gave in Rolling Stone from a casting perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think both of those play in to, to what we're talking about now. But I got that role because I was standing in front of Sylvia Faye. Now you have to get there safely, right? Cause you don't want people driving crazy. You don't want them getting in accidents and dying, but um, call it luck. But that was always my business acumen. I was taught on the East coast, arrive five to 10 minutes early. I was here 20 minutes early for this. I was playing with the lights. I was playing with the <laughs> You know, too many times I've slid in and you can't give your hundred percent, you know, because you're still reeling down from whatever it took to get you there. Yeah. To gather what you need to to walk in, you know. Yeah. I I can really attest to that personally as well. When I am put on the spot and unprepared to so I've been a musician my entire life, still play piano and all what that stuff. Uh piano. Just like okay. you. Yep. And if, if even when I was in my singing group, which was named Solace, uh, if, if we had to go right then and there, I would, I would do pretty poorly. I was very, very average. But what I learned about myself is that if I was prepared and I had taken the time to study it and learn it and understand what I was supposed to do, I was above average, like, you know, pretty darn good, like worth paying for professional. And it's just, I met so many people that could just do it. Like they could just show up and be great. 
And um, I was just never like that. I'm a guy who needs to know the assignment, study it, feel good about it, do it in the mirror a hundred times, and then feel like I can do it with my eyes closed. And then, so I'm a big believer in show up early, relax your blood pressure, get in there and and do a really great job. Uh, The thing about you is you kind of grew up around this stuff. You were modeling by the time you were 13, by the time you were 16, you'd been in everything. And I'm just wondering what made you, you what was that triggering moment that said, Hey, I'm going to pick up and drive or travel from Rhode Island to California with nothing but my personal possessions in my pocket. I made a deal with myself, which I said, as long as I'm making money in the business that I will stay. And I mean, there were times when, you know, I rented out my house, you know, and then stayed in a hotel. So, you know, I could, you know, make all that. Um, and then there were times I questioned, well, am I really making money in the business? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that's why the casting, you know, I, I moved out during the actor strike and then um, Renita White. So I called up my friend, David, the one I was talking about earlier, who's, you know, I said, I said, David, there's a strike. I called my friends and I said, okay, who do you know out here? Let me just go meet everyone. And so he, he connected me with Renita just to meet her. And she was lovely. And I had a cell phone and I had a pager and I had a landline. And I said, I don't care. Call me anytime you want. I'll help you out. Right. Cause I do, I like helping out. I like rolling up my sleeves. So she called me, she paged me midnight that night. And I was walking into some rap party from somebody else who introduced me to a friend. Yeah. And she, you be on set tomorrow at six in the morning. And I said, sure. I didn't know where I was going, didn't know how I was going to get there. This is when we had Thomas Guides in Rhode Island, in yeah. California. And um, sure enough, it was Kid Rock's music video. Oh, wow. And they, yeah, they had me, and I was uh, like a casting assistant or something. And so they had me deal with these rioting talent. Well, they were writing because they weren't getting fed. And, you know, anybody who knows me in my contracts, I would say you had to treat the actors fairly, you had to feed them, you know, whether it was union, because Union, you're supposed to follow the rules. Everybody follows the rules, but I put it in the contract. And so I just went up to the guys and I said, and I took the leader. I took the leader for a bat behind. This is so funny. I mean, it's my first day on the job. I took the leader and it's two o'clock in the morning or something. I don't know, whatever. We're over time. And so I'm taking the guy out for a tour who's the leader, knowing that if you have the leader, no one's leaving. So all the talent was there waiting for the boss to come back and I'm taking the boss out. So while I take the boss out, I whisper in somebody's ear, I said, you better order pizzas and get them here fast. And so <laughs> I said, you let me know when the pizzas are ready. So, so by the time, you know, I'm entertaining this guy until it happens and then boom, the pizzas show up. Everybody was happy. And, you know, the music video got made and like, they called me and they brought me in the next day. And then they put me in America. Uh, they said, would you be a white trash woman? I said, sure. What does that mean? So I Google it. And, um, and again, I went out and bought a dress. Um, you don't, pay, you don't pay a lot, right. But you just go out and you buy something that, that fits it if you don't have it. And so I was, I was in, uh, American badass. Yeah. I, I love that. Anyway, so that's, that? that's how cat, that's how California started for me. And that's why, casting um before acting and then acting came in and then producing came in because um a guy wrote a script for me pretty cool right i didn't think anything of it because he was living with someone right and we weren't dating 
but I didn't know he had a crush on me. And yeah. it was about it was about the story about my mother's murder and you know what you would do when the guy goes up for trial. And so that's why uh, Room Thirty Two is really based on that. And um, yeah, and so the this there was an Emmy winning producer who wanted to direct, and she said we need a producer. And I said all right. I said who's going to produce? She goes you are. And I'm like hmm? and I'm like oh okay. And so that's how producing started. Was the David that's your friend, David Barkley? No, David Kleiler. David, oh. he did, um, oh my God. Um, Boston, he, he did He did stuff I I can't remember. I mean, I honestly can't remember. And I, I know it's horrible, but I'm bad at trivia. Like no, the game it's okay. It's, it's. It's but interesting because you do have a David Barkley that worked on Room 32 that I think they did music when I saw in the credits. And I was like, oh, my God. Totally different. Oh, my God. They're so different. <laughs> yeah. I was just surprised to see my last name there. Like, what in the world? Like, that's awesome. I wonder if I'm related. Who knows? Who knows? David Tyler, fixture of Boston's independent film scene. And he was the legend and founder of Boston Underground Film Festival. There you Austin, go. I'm going to make gonna, sure I didn't. I'm going to write that down. And it was local sightings. That's what it was. He also created local sightings. But I mean, he was my muse. I was his muse in the sense that we um, inspired each other. Um, I think we talk about Deutschoyevsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to watch film. <laughs> we, ha- we have a thing we wrote on our site called. Uh, that was based on the book, the, I believe it's called The Eight Essential Friends. Mm-hmm. And we expound upon that. And I think one of the things that happens, because I'm a big fan of muses, but it's it's one of these things where I, th- I think culturally we want whoever we're with romantically or whoever our best friend is to be every type of friend that we need. And no one yeah. person can do that. Yeah. No, like, they can't. You need a person you can talk, you know, Russian literature with, and mm-hmm. you need a person who you can talk about baking brownies with. And those two people probably aren't the same person. No. But, so you need uh, to fill those gaps. Yes. Or in a responsible way, but you need to fill those gaps. Listen, because I find I find what moves people very fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't always understand. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Have you ever been surprised by what you found when you like, yeah, and discovering what moves people? Yeah, and sometimes I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You, you know, you go you go lifting rocks, and sometimes under that rock is, you know, a scorpion or something. COVID did things too, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think it brought out things and people I hadn't seen before. And oh, I, I agree. Yes. You know, and I can't change people. People can't change me. We can just, we can, you know, depending on what we want to do, we can pivot. Um, you know, but we're all here on our own journey. And so I literally easily, I can say, um, it's not that I don't have these two people as friends. They're just, you know, as one friend says, they're outside the theater waiting to get a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) 
because I have my friends in the front row. And then sometimes some people have to go outside and get a ticket to come in. So Well, well put. I know exactly what you mean. Um, speaking of COVID, mm-hmm. something beautiful did come out of um, oh. uh, a little bit of change in society. So we have COVID in, ni- in 1920, so 2021, really. Mm-hmm. But before that, the big thing that happened in the world was the 2008 recession. And that also put a lot of creatives sort of in a lurch and out of work. And here you are founding the New Media Film Festival. And uh, you founded it in 2009. It was created as part of the C3 United Nations Millennium Project as an annual event. So, so what is the C3 UN Millennium Project and how did it get started? So here's what's interesting about um, selective memory. Um, I sent an email recently from C3, which was the Conscious Creative Community. And there's two people that became my dear friends from that. Phil Phil Pavrat, who, um, oh, he has, I I mean, he has a title that's beyond mine. Um, I mean, I love my title, but someone gave it to me, Media Futurist. But his, I mean, he's just a genius. But anyways, um, like his brain is lines and dots and connecting on a, you know, on a matrix. And then Barry Goldberg, who um, I didn't know at the time, which I love him even more. Um, he is a Grammy winner. Um, he's worked on Fleetwood Max, The Dance, and things like that. So they were part of C3, as well as um, a couple of other people. They, they're the friends that I took with me. Um, the United Nations Millennial Project, I thought, was part of, uh, there was an L.A. arts community going on, and I guess the guy who was the grand poobah of the event was the head of the United Nations Millennial Project. But I, I received an email recently, which they kindly said, thank you for remembering us. It wasn't Phil and um, Barry, um, you know, C3, because I'm acknowledging that. Because, look, it's all media. It's all media, right? If I can help you, I can help you. Right. But they asked me not to mention that anymore and then explain that my, you know, how I understood that wasn't, wasn't what it was. So respectfully, um, there was a big LA arts project. Um, I remember the LA opera was involved. Um, that guy was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, C3 was involved. It was at Los Angeles studio. And then we announced in second life, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, it was big at the time. And, yeah, but basically, it's funny. Out of the 2008 economic crisis, I just saw an exodus. Most of most of the people were going to Atlanta, and um, I mean, think about it. If you're studio level and you're you're working two to three jobs, which was normal for these people, and they're not making less than 2,500, most likely more, then they're hiring people like me to do the job mm-hmm. of one, you know, and then they've got two others, and they're just you know the the the, the master puppeteer, which is fine because that's how people made a living and got in, got up the ladder. Um, and I really saw that me being an independent, me all my life, you know, doing all these jobs, you know, focus puller, best boy, dolly grip, you know, um, snake wrangler, you know, you just do it. Mm-hmm. Like that was an easy skill for me, but it really wasn't for my studio level friends, for my people that were in the bands that were, wasn't Barry, but, you know, winning Grammys and stuff like that. 
they, they didn't know how to recoup those, those big zero paychecks anymore. And so I said, let me do something that can help them. And generally when I, I need an answer, I ask it before I go to bed. And so I just said, okay, how can I use all my experiences, all my life um, to help this community of storytellers? And I literally have a blueprint, like, like, because I've designed houses in my life, you yeah. know, with a tech, um, you know, push one, push one section in, one section out, same thing with the roof. Um, how do you braid it into the yard? Um, so, so, so I had that blueprint. And so back in 2009, new media really wasn't a word, but because of my work with Panasonic and um, uh, the Red Scratch program and, um, you know, all these other things that I was a test, I, call, I would call myself a test bunny, mm-hmm. I knew that it was going to be ever-changing. Remember, I was on SD to HD. HD became, um, you know, ultra HD and then 4D. Four and then eight and then you know whatever. So um, yeah, so I I didn't build it for me. I built it for them, so to speak. Because uh, but here's what's interesting. So COVID happened. It's the same thing. Yep. And so I'm like, okay, what can I do now? So we did a couple of things. We built a market, a do-it-yourself market. So it doesn't cost anybody anything. Um, so they go to our website and you click the button market. And then you just sign up as a buyer or you sign up as a creator. Now it's going to be a short form and, and you can't just get access to all this content with just an email, right? Like right. probably your website or your LinkedIn website. Um, but you can upload content to sell or you can go on there to look to sell because we found that was a barrier for people making money. The other thing we did is we just, we just scoured and scoured for content that was submitted like over the 10 years. Uh, sorry, we're not, sorry, we're not 13th year. Um, and, and we started offering distribution 70, 30 splits, non-exclusive. We don't charge any um, fees. Like we don't charge you to market. We don't charge you to log, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, knock on wood, people are making money. We've been sending, we've been, you know, we get paid, they get paid. It's really that simple. And so I'm doing it again, 2009 and now 2020 is really, because it was March, it was March of 2020. Yeah, it's, I checked out the website. I looked at the business model. I've looked at the buy and sell side and it's really interesting because it's something that Nick and I talked about, I think like in 2016 or 17, wanting to build from scratch ourselves because we saw the need that was out there. And it's so cool to see that this is actually one way that you can sort of remove regret and gratify yourself is to see an idea that you had exist in the real world because that's your validation that it was a good idea and that it was working. So I really, and that, you know, that, that idea would have worked. So even though you weren't the one to go build it, cause you, that wasn't your thing to do. Correct. It still was a sound idea because someone out there built it. And so thank you uh, for that info. I, so and this may actually get into a little bit more of how you sort of curate and, and aggregate those titles. But um, before we go really down the line with, with the, the new media film festival uh, there, it is unique. So I'd love for you to talk about 
how the New Media Film Festival is different than other festivals? So if you look at my history, um, I was released from high school to go help a major corporation um, in their computer department. So I've been a geek, right? But then you look at my, my other side, you know, I was part of the entertainment business through my dad. Um, I was in plays and all that good stuff. So the festival is really an extension of me. It is a, it is a place where thought and creativity happen. Um, there is no fail. There isn't because mm -hmm. you have to move forward to see if something works. And if it doesn't work, what does it take to make it work? And it may not be worth it, right? Mm -hmm. In the large scope of the world. Um, we constantly offer opportunity. First of all, we're global. You know, I want to say, you know, we're, we're, we're planetary system wide, mm -hmm. uh, but aren't any Martians or aliens submitting right now. <laughs> so NASA has a program where regular people can put their name um, on a ship that's going out there. And so I've done that the last two or three times. You get a certificate, which is really fun. Awesome. Um, but I'm also doing that because I'm encoding that, you know, New Media Film Festival will eventually be out there accepting submissions from all other species and also sharing those stories, right? Because how how better to learn about someone else than than that story? But if you so so that is the possibility. I mean, I I'm not kidding you there. Um I was made an honorary astronaut by Leland Melvin. We were on a board together. And I told him, I said, I always wanted to be an astronaut. Um, so what New Media Film Festival does outside of honoring stories worth telling is I think what's unique is we honestly look for opportunity to help content creators. And if it's not there, we build it. Um, we built um, Emmys Consulting with Broadcasting because people wanted to be nominated for an Emmy and they didn't know how to get it up in the in the window. Well, we figured that out. Um, you know, we were the first one to do artificial intelligence created content um, because, again, remember that stuff isn't scary for me, right? And then the people that create that don't want to trust their technology and their baby with someone, and since. I love and respect intellectual property. I get a lot of content and creators that really won't give their stuff elsewhere. Most people don't read the terms and conditions on contracts or apps, and I do. Right. Uh, you know, we just got offered, uh, and, and you know, it's funny because people say, well, this festival used this, and this festival used this, and they're really good festivals. But those festivals also um, were giving away the, the rights of how someone um, uses their platform and that has value, you know, mm -hmm. who you are, how you think, how you engage has value. And guess what? It's yours. It's not mine. So uh, the fact that we respect you, we respect your story. We understand your journey. Um, we have 80,000 people on a newsletter list. We have um, just look at our partners. They're all people that support, um, you know, creators. We just have, um, I don't want to start naming because if I name one and I forget the other, I don't want right. to get them. Just go to newmediafilmfestival.com homepage, scroll down to the bottom of the partners. Every single one of them uh, works tirelessly to help creators. Um, 
and we, we, we pivot a lot. So we put pitching online. So pitching used to be just in person. It was so successful that we're like, why should it just be once a year? Like someone decides tonight that they want to pitch their project and we have gotten stuff funded and picked up. We don't take a percentage of that. Um, you know, uh, some people will ask me for stuff. Okay. So what else? Oh my God. So, um, so I was on, I'm on the board of the computer and animation program, which is also part of Springer Publishing. Mm-hmm. So board members reached out and said, do you know anyone in Bitcoin? And I remember this was two to three years ago. And I said, yeah. So, so I connect, like in an email, I connect them with Patrice Pachul. He was in Hong Kong at the time. And then he wrote a book on Bitcoin that um, Springer Publishing published. That they ended up becoming the first film that was fully funded by Bitcoin, and it was an um, Academy Award nominee a couple of years ago. Don't ask me the name, I'm bad in trivia. But the point is, those are some of the opportunities. One of the photographers that we hired for the festival one year, um, because of the people that were there, um, like Ed Asner and Oscar, uh, Mark Rydell from On Golden Pond, um, Tippi Hedren, they were... Uh, she had uh, the elephant's journey in there with Chris Gallucci one year. So the point is, is that he met these people that inspired him to do a book about Hitchcock. So there he is doing a book about Hitchcock from meeting people at the festival. We also have a panelist um, talking about virtual reality and simulating an after death experience. Um, I don't, I don't advocate for that, but <laughs> you know. so uh, he got funded. Someone in the audience just went up to the guy and said, I'll fund it. And so the next year they offered it to us. Um, you know, so we did, we had it and, you know, we had people experience it there. So those are the opportunities. Um, uh, you know, uh, curations of art exhibits, you know, we have, we have art. So, so we set up art. People don't even know this. We set up art for charity. And so we'll connect artists with charity, the artist that's, a minimum bar and then the artwork gets sold the charity gets the difference so the the artist is getting paid they're also getting a donation amount for you know for for the value and they're out there in the ethers and they're getting the marketing and and the thing so i read about that idea that you had and i'm glad that you made it uh happen that that's awesome thank you but you know it's interesting the hard part about thinking of things is that not everybody understands them or wants to take the risk, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just so hard. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's the old Peter Thiel concept, zero to one. I think most people want to go one to N, right? So copy something that's already working. And I think I, I think folks like me and you like getting in the ground a little bit and digging for new rocks. So, so let's talk about just intellectual property for one second. And please. I know we have to be careful. Um, because we're not attorneys. But um, when you have a trademark, you have to do what's called policing, which mm-hmm. means you have to say, cease and desist, this is why. And it's usually because it's causing confusion in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I want to share with you, without saying too many specifics, that we've had, in the very beginning, we had a couple volunteer for us for a couple of years on a pro- now, now listen to this program and how magnificent this program was, and these two people ruined it. And they have no idea because they're in ego and they're doing something in their own state. And 
I'm not happy about it, but I have to live with the fact that they don't think they did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And so here's what happened. We started taking the best of each category, putting them on a DVD with you know a post-production house, and then licensing that best of DVD to schools and universities, and then dividing that amount that we got between the filmmakers that was in it and you got paid by a minute. So if you had, so if we got a thousand dollars and you had 10 minutes, you got that much money. If you had 16 minutes, you got that much money. And so this was going on and we were spreading cities and, but how cool is this? This is like 13 years ago, right? Right. Um, So for two years we did it. And then one year the guy at the university said we can't we can't do it anymore and i said why not but then my father died so like i just didn't you know i didn't follow up and then once i got through grieving my father i called the guy up and he said oh well we're doing something else and then come to find out that couple that worked for uh that volunteered for him we would we would skype the the directors in we would have programs for them. We would make the flyers. Um, they built something and started infringing on our name. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they still try to infringe on the name, but I slap them down and say cease and desist. And then people go, why? Why are you doing that? They're a nonprofit. And I go, it's still wrong. Right. Wrong wrong. I don't care. You know, and, you know, sorry, if you're God and it's wrong, it's still wrong, even though, you know, people, you know. So, <laughs> so the point is an intellectual you have to you have to police your stuff you have to you you can do it kindly i say you know i start saying i know cool name you know so um but but what i want to share with you is how sad is that that something that we created to really really get money in the pockets of creators were taken by two volunteers you know, that said, oh, we don't need those people in California anymore. We can do that right here. Totally oblivious to, to, to what, you know, our trademark, to you know, what we were doing on the greater global good. That's the stuff that gets me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, two of our films, we regularly have to police on YouTube. Sorry about that. I would say within one week of distribution, one of our films was up on YouTube with already 850 views. Wow. So that's 850, you know, that that's a significant number of people watching your movie. And it was just uploaded by some dude or dudette and YouTube was great. They took it down immediately, but about once a month, you, if you've distributed a film, it's worthwhile to just go on YouTube search the title of your film and see how many people are uploading your content uh, for free for everybody to watch. And it's weird. You're, you're right about the perception that people have like, Oh, I see you. You don't want to, we can't watch your stuff for free. It's like, if you had any idea how much energy and prayer and, and uh, you know, crawling, Time, money, you have, it takes to make a feature film, right? Like you, you wouldn't say that you wouldn't uh, just assume that, that this content is like social media where you can just get on and consume all you can eat for free. And I think that as independent filmmakers, we have to really fight hard against this idea of 
commoditized content, right? Like throw it against the wall, see what sticks, throw away content. There's a place for it, but your feature film that costs, you know, $2 million is not the place for it. Like that's the whole thing. People need to eat. Mm -hmm. They need to put gas in their car. So, you know, I understand you have GoFundMe pages. I understand you have Kickstarter. I understand, you know, and that's all great and good. But when you have that end product, you need to sell that product to make more money to make another product so you can have a business. Now, I will tell you that, you know, I mean, I have to look at your content, but if you want, we can can do the 70-30 split and we can do non-exclusive, like, everywhere else that you don't have it. We have like 2,500 platforms and we get new ones every day. And one just, well, one just came by. And I mean, um, I mean, I do my research on them. I don't say yes to everyone, but one came by with a number and somebody said that was low. And I said, they're paying more than Amazon. Yeah. Amazon pays about six cents per uh, viewing for like 90 minutes. 90 minutes is six cents, I believe. So 0.0001. I've seen maybe yeah. four theorems before the one, but obviously yeah. if you get millions of views, it, it gets some money. So <laughs> maybe. But it's not the end all be all. It's, yeah. It's, it's certainly not market value because, you know, I've always said that what Amazon and others pay is class action lawsuit worthy. It is, it is an well, absolute I, grift uh, because well, if I you can say something good about a platform, cause I love metrics. And so okay. it, it appears uh, and remember, uh, we we heavily started offering distribution two years ago. We've been distributing for at least 11 years, right? Mm-hmm. But it was just ancillary. Hey, would you like, you know, we know, you know, if you want it, we have it for you. Um, and so we're already giving checks. That That's awesome. I mean, some companies don't even pay you for an entire year. Some pay right away. Some pay three to six months. Some pay when you, whatever. So to be. Yep. Tubi seems to pay really well. Yeah, they, they got picked up by Fox. Fox owns Disney? them. But I thought Fox was bought by Disney. They're all being they're all being gobbled uh, right. Hulu is Disney for sure. Uh Tubi I think is Fox, but um but I'll have I'm not I'll saying ha- anything bad about the others, I'll, right? I'll have I'll have at least check that and make sure I'm, I'm uh we're I'm all, we're, that. we are so grateful that people want content right now, but I yeah. will tell you. That's the um, upside, right? Like that, 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 that the demand is almost insatiable for content. If it's good. Um, yes. And no, because you said something about throwing spaghetti at the wall. Um, yeah, you're just throwing it against the wall. Yeah. I mean, there are streaming platforms that go by algorithms only. They could care less what your story is, the quality is. Mm-hmm. And, and Agreed. I'm a firm believer of, we are collectively the stories that, we watch, we read, we share, we create, mm-hmm. you know, so what do you want your future to be? I mean, if you, if you look, it's called emotional reality. So ER is a category. Um, and, and there are movies that are being, so, so when I talk to you about like metaverse and apps and terms and conditions, they're taking all the times that you, you press harder or lighter, or there's even um, a new service where they're going to be, uh, they're going to give you free streaming, but they have to watch your eyes. And oh, wow. and if you don't watch that ad, you're going to have to end up paying for the service. So, 
But 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 think about that. That is all an algorithm. That's all lines and dashes. That's all zeros and ones. It's code. And then, you know, like think about every time you do an export and then you sort. That's what they're doing. Um, so an emotional reality film is they are taking that data and they're going, oh, this is where you need to have that sort of low moment where they cry or mm-hmm. this should happen or we want, you know, we want them to feel like this, you know, instead of, whoa, you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Oh I, feel like, I feel like Pixar uh, mastered that early and just in terms of, the formula for human emotion and storytelling and being able to leverage animation because those characters can do things that human beings can't do and using it to, to drive emotion. Um, you, you did mention all those different formats. I have to ask, it is 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, what role will NFTs play if any in this year's uh, festival? That's a, okay. That's so funny that you asked because last year we were the first festival or event period um, that had NFTs involved. And it's all thanks to two guys, uh, Christopher Ruan, who is an augmented reality uh, developer and creator, and then Kyle Schember, who's CEO of Subtractive, also has a space side to him, um, and he's an NFT expert. And again, you know, think about, like, if you you look at Susan and say she's a theater girl, Mm -hmm. so a theater girl is you build a community. And then that community evaporates, and hopefully you see them, somebody, one of your family members, walking down the street 12 years later. But do that over and over and over again. That's We're in our 13th year of doing that with New Media Film Festival. And I'm grateful because they don't know each other, and each of them called me last year. And they're like, you got to do the NFTs. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. Oh, yes, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> And they walk me through it. How do I do it? What helps the community? You know, I don't just do it. I ask. So so when I listen, I go, what do they need? Well, first of all, um, I'll give you the lowdown. Every single person can have an NFT profile. All you have to do, mm-hmm. we had OpenSea. And what I chose to do is I chose to do a gallery. So we're retro new media. And I just think about everything as a media asset because a media asset is new media. It's findable. It's searchable. It's a way to make a connection, right? So on OpenSea, Retro New Media, I decided that I would pick one thing that said something about us for each year that we were in existence, right? Um, And like, um, now, are they the best NFTs ever? No. But one of them was like an avatar, like from, you know, (laughs) but the cool thing is, is like, that was radical, in whatever year that came out. Um, So you have a placement. So Bonsai Creative could have a Bonsai Creative gallery and say you've been in existence five years, just put five things up. But at least you've started, at least you have a presence. Okay, now what does that mean? Well, go buy something. You don't have to spend a lot. I mean, I spent like $28 on one thing. I spent like 500 on something else. So here's what we did with NFTs. So last year, there was no entry fee whatsoever. We totally funded it. And we were like, send us your NFTs. We're going to choose one live to buy um, during the programming. So I announced this and then realized, oh, my God, it takes a long time to buy something. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, it's a long time to buy something. And then if it's a gas, the gas price is high. Gas fees. Off hours, Mm -hmm. you know, gas at low cost, off hours. 
So what I did was I bought, I ended up buying three and right. Spread the love. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have bought one for the full amount we had, but we decided to buy three. And then I had Kyle uh, do a little talk about it. It's actually on our YouTube channel. Um, new media. Let me see what it is because remember, I don't, I'm not good at trivia. So I don't remember everything. You have a great YouTube channel. New media film channel. New Mm -hmm. media film channel. And and we'll repeat that at the end as well. Thank you. But anyways, we'll look up Kyle Schemberg. I hope it's up there. Um, It may not uh, because it was live during our show, but I'll figure that out. Anyways, email me if if it's not there and I'll get you a copy. So, um, you know, he talks about NFTs and then he, he announces the winners. So this year, what we decided to do is there's an entrance fee, but 100%, 100% of the entrance fees buys NFTs. Do you see what we're doing here? We're building a way for NFTs to be bought and sold and marketed. Mm-hmm. So that's Brilliant. just another way we do opportunity. It is and it isn't. And I'll thank you. But, but there are gatekeepers in um, NFTs. Mm-hmm. God bless them. You know. I would say OpenSea is one for sure. Well, no, I meant the community. Oh, the community. So, okay. So whether you're vetted, you know. So, mm-hmm. so. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Mm-hmm. Remember the old. Remember the old Hollywood system. Yep. Yep. You had to know someone to mm-hmm. get it for. Okay. So, so I'm blessed that I had Christopher and Kyle, but even that. It's hard. It's hard to get people to go, okay, I don't know, what is it, $50? I'm going to pay $50 to, you know, submit an NFT because it's such a new concept. I guarantee you in five years, people are going to be submitting NFTs everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have had submissions. Um, one of them, he wants a million dollars for his NFT, uh, we don't have that budget, so we right. can't buy that one. But, you know, if he's selected to be a nominee, he can get marketing and advertising. I don't know yet. Um, we're, you know. So anyways, um, we are working on an, a lifetime NFT. Um, so you'll have to stay tuned for that. Get on our monthly newsletter. That's awesome. And uh, we'll make sure that information gets shared here at the end. And for those listening... The festival this year will be June 1st and 2nd, and it sounds like it's going to be a blast. How did you land on just two days as your festival length? That's unusual. It's a great question. Less is more. We are known for exquisite content. Like, you know, the woman that produced uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, she came, literally walked up to me uh, when we uh, and said that's that's the best programming I've ever seen. I I sat next to a British socialite who you know looked at me and went, "Darling, uh, I just didn't know how I was going to bear sitting through all of this, but every single one was magnificent." You know, and I don't think I mean I don't think these people are saying this to you know make me happy. They could say my dress was pretty. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. like it, it really felt that it was, it was real. And plus I, you know, um, I'll give you another example. Like, um, I don't judge anything that I know someone in. Hmm. So I called up a judge and I said, here, I said, I want you to watch these three. And he said, well, what was that third one? 
and I and I and I and it because it was the it was the weakest of the three. Um, but I mean, I wasn't going to say anything. And um, I said, well, one of the guys in there has volunteered for us for a couple of years. Now he paid for he paid for his submission. I didn't even know until I was watching it that it was him. Um, and he said, well, why didn't you tell me? I said, because I didn't. You know, not that he would have swayed, but he's like, well, why didn't you tell me? And I said, because that's not how we do it. Like, you have to judge it based on what it is. So, um, yeah, we're just known for really good content. Well, my dad taught me that. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but my dad was a showrunner. He was on shows that was in syndication, which is really hard to do. I, you know, watched three camera shoots and stuff like that. I watched, you know, I, I, I watched him try to have a system that wasn't fair, be fair. Um, you know, he was not perfect by any means, um, but I learned a lot from him. Is he, um, is there any shows that uh, we might know that he was show running? Uh, I don't, I, I don't want to mention it because I walked away from $20 million. <laughs> Well, well, Susan, you can't just say you walked away for $20 million and not tell me how that happened. Because when he died, there was $20 million on the table, but the, all the people ancillary were evil. Mm. And if I fought to get the money, I would have been giving money to evil people. Got it. Got it. So I'm not mentioning the shows. And even if you figured it out, I wouldn't tell you it was the shows. But it's 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 interesting. That's the power of our business. Do you know what I mean? I do. Desperate people do desperate things. And then money does weird things to people. Um, and again, remember, I would have gotten a nice chunk, but evil people would have gotten money that they could have done massive damage with. Yeah. And I don't want to be part of that. So. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. For the most part, everyone around me, especially in this community and in, and in my small little L.A. community, have been fantastic. But, but every Exactly. But every once in a while, you go to an event and hmm. somebody doesn't know you, but they do know that you've invested in film. And they do know that your films have been distributed and that you support this and you, and they just act weird and because they, because they know they, and, and so what I've started to do is I started to take um, a couple of the people that work here uh, with me and they just buffer for me. Oh, wait they, wait Yeah. Wait they they wait literally wait. just buffer. Uh, yeah. They come in, give me a drink. It's like, Oh, thanks man. Oh. And it gives me a break to, say bye to that person or shake their hand or get their card and move forward. Uh, because before I did that, you know, I would get cornered and I'm not special, but I would get cornered and be in conversations for literally an hour and 30 minutes. And a part of me saying, Ooh. Oh my God, where's the, you know, where's the CTA? Like, just give me the CTA. Give me the call to action. Like, like give me the ask. Where does the ask? how much money do you want? Just tell me, please, so I can get out of here. <laughs> and now I get the buffer person that, that saves me. So it is, you're right. The money, the money just cha- is, makes people weird. I sometimes. went to the and I don't know how you brought this out of me. So I apologize, but I was going to tell you why, um, 
so why less is more. Yeah, tell um, me that. So, so, so my dad, and again, remember, I, I mean, there are many facets in the business, but there was a time when major celebrities wanted them to represent him mm-hmm. and he didn't want to um, because he's loyal um, to a fault, which there should be more eggs in a basket. So just everybody remember you need to have more eggs in a basket because one little egg is just one little egg. But, you know, so lots of stuff was coming in. People were trying to work on, people were pitching him this, pitching him that. And he literally would just open the mail. And this was back in the day of the cassette. And he would put, put a cassette in and he'd press play because he, he repped music. And uh, you, oh, you heard about Slim Pickens and stuff like that. Yep. So um, he repped music and stuff like that. So anyways, he'd press play. And I'm telling you, the little circle didn't even have time to grab that tape and go a full circle. And he popped it out. And I went, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, it's, that's not going to go anywhere. And I go, how can you tell it's not going to go anywhere? And so he took the time to teach me. Mm. And he was right. It's like, how many times have you tried to have that book be better on the next page? How many times have you tried to have that script be better on the next page? And yeah. it's not. So um, now that's not saying that, I mean, that, that works most of the time. But um, I look at these festivals that are 10 days. And I understand it's economic development. I'm not in the business of economic development. People don't know this, but I was um, with the film office for a year on the state level, which meant I was a bureaucrat. Well, that was this. Economic development is right here. That's what it's all about. It's all about bringing tourism and money and businesses to your state. I'm not backed by the government. I I don't have those partners. I'm not so sure I want those partners. Um, I think if you asked me in the beginning, I'd be, yeah, you know, let's have this big, let's have them overtake the city. But that, but again, that's not the goal. The goal is honoring stories worth telling. And, you know, I mean, I've said this before, but, you know, the word diverse, it, it, it cracks my team up because we've always been diverse. I mean, you know, we, you know, People have told us they've, they've never seen, you know, any place that they felt more welcome than I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, everybody's welcome. Like, we don't look at life like that. But then put in a room of, you know, someone who just came in from Africa and a little old lady who's a grandmother and someone who's Jewish and someone who's who's gay and, you know, all different ages. And you're in a room and you're watching the same, you know, content that comes in and they're all moved by it. Like, that's when you know that story is powerful. So, sure, in the festival, there's going to be an ebb and flow, right? You're going to love one, really not like another, but they're really great stories. You know, um, we don't take stuff that has bad sound, you know, bad images, bad storylines. You know, we we don't take pay for play. People try to pay us to put their film in. We don't do that. Someone offered me money once to win the award. Don't do that. Um, offered me an Audi, <laughs> 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 which was nice, but no. Um, Good we for don't you. Do, 
obviously, you know, this, we don't take money from everyone, you know, um, because uh, I was a casting director for many, many years. I still cast, but it's generally for just people that I've worked with before and on select projects. I'm more about packaging and making offers right now than, you know, having 800 people come in for a 7-Eleven commercial, which was fun. Um, (laughs) But anyways, because of the cast, I I lost my train of thought for a minute when I was thinking about that commercial. But um, I think, oh, so on the casting side, I was offered once um, money for the embryos, the eggs. Yeah. So, oh, well, you have a lot of actresses that'll give you their egg for $10,000. And I'm thinking, you know, so that actress would get 10000 I don't remember how much they were offering us as a festival. And I'm like, that's not something I want to market. That's their decision. Yeah. But it's not something I, as a brand, am going to endorse. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's making babies and that's somebody's body. And that is not my area to tell you what to do. That one I've never heard before. That's uh, in, incredible. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I would uh, well I, look. Look, less lesson learned. Less is more uh, at the New Media Film Festival. Oh, thank you. There you go. I, <laughs> did you I understand find, it. Did you find two days early? No, I just most I mean, festivals. Short? Most festivals are just longer. That's all. So, so when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's interesting. I think I should ask her that, especially considering the type of media you bring in from AI to VR to NFT to, you know, uh, you know, you, you have, uh, you guys run the gamut and um, I'm sure there's a ton of that coming your way now. So that's, that's all. I was just curious. I think the answer is sufficient. And I love the analogy to the, the book, which by the way, uh, folks, uh, Susan is a six time author uh, of books (laughs) and, uh, we failed to mention that up to this point. Uh, I love the analogy of the of the song uh, and the screenplay. We, we instruct our readers, "Hey, if you get to if you get to five grammatical errors before ten, page ten, just stop." You know, and uh, John August and Craig Mason, who do the incredible Script Notes podcast, they famously know whether your movie is going to be great or not uh, in three pages, so they can read three pages and just know okay, this works or it doesn't work. I want to keep reading or I don't want to keep reading. So I thought it was apropos. Good. Um, I'd love to, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, because you have a valid point. So we were longer before we were more. Okay. No, we were, we weren't always two days. We were more days, but then I was producing panels for Stanley when he was alive. Right. Yeah. My produce panels at my festival, or am I going to screen more content to see where my brain was going? Yes. What, and, and remember, we're at the landmark. It is a gorgeous state-of-the-art theater, and it's not cheap. And we are not backed by, you know, economic development teams and stuff like that. So, so really, we're looking at what is the best use of our time and space for this global community. Mm-hmm. And people, they want their Q&A. You know, they want to meet the people at the VIP soiree. They want the red carpet, you know, press junket. Um, they want the award ceremony. So besides Stanley's panels, we create things throughout the year. So January of last year, we created Ask an Expert series. And it was pay what you can. It, I honestly, it was online because of, you know, things were shut down. But meaning we create these things for people to engage sort of, you know, outside of the festival Mm -hmm. and 
You know, I will tell you that if your audience wants us to have more days and have more stuff, I'm open to it. Just let me know. Oh, wow. Let me know what you're looking for. Because I don't want to tell you what to think, right? Um, I want to feel the pulse of what's needed and how we can help these creators. Well, Susan, that that is so generous. And we will certainly... Put that idea out. We have a newsletter as well, not nearly as robust as yours, but uh, we just started it. So hopefully it's a little engine that could. Um, What we're proud of is that the readership is nearly 100% filmmakers and and independents. And so I'd love to put that out there uh, as as a filler and get back to you on that. Um, I'd also love to do some speed round questions with you if you're up to it. Uh Sure. As long as I can say no. <laughs> oh, look, there's the panda. Oh, my gosh. Uh, all right. So what are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career, and who did they come from? Oh, advice. Oh, I, the first thing that came to mind was this guy. Um, so I don't want to play that card, but um, the guy was getting paid more than me. Totally fine. It was understood. It was expected at the time. Like like I told you, I used to get paid independent prices and someone was getting paid the studio price and hiring me and making the difference. I'm okay with that. I knew what I was walking into. I said to him, I said, oh, I don't want this job. I don't want to work with this person. He said, charge him a price that it's going to be worth working for him. Oh, wow. That's great. Yep. Yep. And then another piece of advice came from my, that was a different guy. And then another piece, well, it works. It works. It does. Because I may give you a price, you know, I mean, that's different than someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Because, so, I mean, I did that my entire career. I mean, you look back at um, Stephen Israel and um, my other Stevens and, could have gotten another zero, but I just loved working with them. So I was like, all right. Um, so anyways, um, the other advice was, and you mentioned earlier, it was dreams awake. So I get a phone call to co-produce. Well, the last thing you want to do is co-produce with someone that has never worked in the film business before. Um, when it's on location and they're married to um, the director, (laughs) even though she was lovely. Uh, No, actually she was the executive producer. I'm sorry. Sorry. I got it confused. So there was a guy that she wanted me to work with. They were the director and she were married and oh, I have to be careful. So um, I have to be careful. So um, anyways, When you co-produce something, it's a marriage. It's co. I'm responsible for them. They're responsible for me. We're responsible for what we do. And I take that very seriously, right? Safety on set, coming on time under budget, right? Doing what I say I can do, delivering the goods, you know, making things appear magically when no one knew. And so my friend David Kleiler called and he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I got an offer to, you know, work on location and as co-producer for a feature length film. I don't want to do it. He goes, why don't you want to do it? I told him why I didn't want to do it. He goes, what do you have on your calendar? I said, nothing. He said, do it. 
That was it. He just simply said, do it. Had nothing to do with the money, right? Because the other guy was the money. He said, what do you have on your calendar? I said, nothing. He said, do it. One of the best experiences in my career. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that co-producer did not behave well in the sandbox. And I told the executive producer, and, you know, I can be pre-Italian East Coast when I need someone to listen to me that (laughs) this is not right. This is not right. And this is why this is not right. But I also have to back off, right? So -hmm. she's like, back off. You can't tell me anymore. A couple of months later, film's wrapped. She calls me up and she goes, you were right. I said, I don't like being right. You know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'm just telling you so you can nip it in the bud now. But, you know, people don't want to see things sometimes. They really don't, you know? So so anyways, the point is the sorry, these were speed rounds. If you don't want to work with someone, but you're really good at the job you can do and you can get it done, charge them a price that makes you want to work with them and get up and do it because you always have to do 100%, right? Yep. And and the other one was um, you got offered to do something that you were reluctant to do for the reasons stated, but you had nothing on your calendar, take it. Just take it. Just take it. Go, Go with it. Yeah, very, very good advice. And I think sometimes it's the messenger. Sometimes a person just needs another messenger to tell them the thing you already told them. And then they can say it wasn't you. And then no shame. Everybody's in the clear. We're good to go. Well, since um, we've talked about David, I'll tell you what he called himself. What did he, he call himself? He called himself my chief sounding board. <laughs> he was my chief sounding board. So, yeah. That's an honorable position for sure. Yeah. Um what creatives do you most admire and want to emulate? And what do they do from a technical or skill standpoint that sets them apart? Oh my gosh, this is going to, um, this is going to sound so weird. Script supervisor. Mm. Uh, which okay. script supervisor? So the script supervisor on a film, um, make sure everything's in place and everything. Oh, oh no, I know. I'm saying, is there one in particular by oh. name? People, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, people. I would say George Lucas. Um, he seems like a good guy. <laughs> I don't know him, but and persona could be manufactured, right? Um, but I'm just saying, by all appearances, his choices and his demeanor seem to be on point with what I consider important business acumen and it's show business. He told, he showed stories really well and seemed to do them really well in business. Yeah, that's a great point. And he gave you uh, your favorite quote from Yoda as well, which is there is uh, no try. There's Ooh. just just do. Love it. George Lucas. Um, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that. Yep. <laughs> From your casting days, uh, who's the most talented actor you've cast that you're surprised isn't a household name yet? Aaron Gray. Aaron Gray. Is that with an E or an A? I believe it's G-R-A-Y. So Aaron Gray was in Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Oh, but and, is it Aaron with A-A-R-O-N or Oh, e- sorry. E-R-I-N. E-R-I-N. Okay, got it. Hold on. I'm pulling it up. 
So she was a, a model and an actress. Mm-hmm. She was known as Colonel William Deering in the science fiction TV series Buck Rogers in the 25th century. But that was, I mean, years ago. Right. Um, she's just a brilliant actress. She was on one other TV show that, oh, Silver Spoons. So people that know Silver Spoons are oh, those yeah. two shows. Yeah, she was just really, um, her daughter, Samantha. Oh, my gosh. Um, I I practically begged her to be in a film, and she wanted to be a writer. So I'm like, okay, then you've got to go write. But, you know, and she was, she was really cool. Like, you know, I have this thing about, um, I don't think children's hair should be dyed. <laughs> Maybe if it's vegetable-based, but still no. Um and there was a there was a show I was casting, and Samantha would have been perfect for it. I personally don't like um, characters that look the same. Mm-hmm. I think it's confusing for the audience. Yeah, um, agreed. And and this lead actress was already cast, and she had Samantha's you know raven colored hair. And we talked about Samantha dyeing it. And I said, Samantha, once I pull that pigment out of your hair, I don't care who you're talking to. It's it it you lose that virgin hair. Sorry. Right. And so we elected uh not to do it. You know, she could have, you know, people shave their heads, people color their hair, but you know, if she had never and she was young and she had never dyed her hair before, and that was totally her call. I mean, I just I have to tell you what it is. It's your decision. And, you know, this is just my opinion. It's your life. It's your, uh, but so I would say, um, I don't know what Samantha's doing now, but I know that she was, you know, amazing. And I could have seen her catapult. Um, Like like daughter, like, like mother. Um, If you could give filmmakers, indie filmmakers, one piece of advice, what would it be? Just do it. I mean, I don't want to sound like Nike. Uh, but you know, okay. A couple of things are coming up. If I want to tell an indie filmmaker, I'm going to get a little real for a minute. They're not going please, to please. No, okay. No one owes you anything. No one. Oh my god! Can I tell you something? Yes. True you, story. I hit you, did not. I yeah. just hit. You. I did not. So in my old That's studio, I had a ten by five, so it's ten feet wide five feet tall whiteboard that you paint on the wall. It's an, it's incredible. It costs 150 bucks to buy the paint. You got to put it on with the 3M mask because the fumes will kill you. Uh, But outside of that, you put it on, you wait a day, you come back in, you have a whiteboard on your back wall and it's awesome. And it's gigantic. And in big capital letters on that whiteboard, I wrote, no one owes you anything. Swear to God. Are we sisters and brothers? (laughs) (laughs) Promise you. And uh, it was in red as well. So I actually didn't put it in the black sharp or not Sharpie, but the black marker, I put it in the red. So every day I walked in there, I had to realize it's time to get busy and, and not, but you know, I grew up that way too, Susan. Like that was just, that was just, I grew up with, there wasn't a lot of, Hey, I've got something to get. No one had anything to give you anyway, except for waste your time. Uh, and, and shit that would slow you down. So for me, that was an important mantra. So sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to share that no, with no, you. No, no, uh, no. Go ahead. I just want people to know that I am definitely not perfect. And I, as a, as a human, um, 
grow every single day. I mean, I metamorphosed. Um, there were definitely times in my life where, you know, I had this chip on the shoulder. I was owed something, mm. you know, most likely it was, you know, from, you know, my mother's murder and the unfairness, there's lots of stuff going on over there. Um, you know, but no one owes you anything. And I mean, you go on this journey and this path and I, I know people tell you this and I know just sometimes things suck. But you just sit there and you go, how can I be a better me? And if you look at the two times in my life when I've, in the, in the business, when I felt pain and anguish for my colleagues, what did I do? I built something. Metaphorically, it was a sandcastle, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Building a sandcastle, not knowing when a wave's going to come in or some bully's going to come in and knock it down. But I built it. I built it because I believed. Um, so build good and you'll get there. I wow. mean, you have to. There's there's nothing else. You have to. you just got to stay the course. Wearing so many hats, I know you have a perspective on this as well. But what are the biggest business and creative mistakes you see newcomers making today? lying or overselling right mm. um so the biggest mistake is people still bully people still judge um people self-sabotage right mm -hmm. um i've had many times where people have taken out their frustrations on me or the project, the second they were validated. Because once someone validates you, it opens up the dump truck of all the times that you just said, you know, you were holding it up, holding it up, holding it up, holding it up. And then, yeah. um, I mean, they're age old adages, you know, um, keep the drama at the door, keep your mouth shut, um, be polite. Um, I mean, I generally follow up with every business card or every email and, you know, it's amazing how many people don't. Um, yeah. So I don't know. There's a lot of different things, but I think people know them. Um, I also think we're conditioned by our surroundings and the way we were brought up. And like I said earlier, you know, you've got the, that, that couple that, you know, thinks they're really magnificent, but, but don't realize that, you know, what they did wasn't right, wasn't fair, and also hurt in, you know, an entire, you know, community of people being able to monetize their content. Right. Um, so things have ramifications. I mean, I guess just think, would you want it done to you? You know? Mm -hmm. It's very good advice. And a lot of times what we consider cliche or something that everyone knows bears repeating. And I was told that by a lot of wise people, which is that, you know, men, meaning mankind, they don't need to be told. They need to be reminded because we cut, because somewhere we already know it and, and we have to be reminded. Oh yeah, that's right. It's a society. Um, Susan, you've been so generous with your time. Wow. This has been so fun. <laughs> 
I don't know how long, but I know it's flown by. And I know. Oh my God, I loved your face when I, what did I say? What, 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 what was on your wallets? Oh, nobody owes you anything. Yeah, nobody owes you anything. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, thanks for listening. Do you know how much fun it is to talk to someone who at least understands the business? Try to talk to a family member. That <laughs> If you can even get them to be interested. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, what do you no. do? Like they, they literally say, what do you do? Right. Do you work? <laughs> <laughs> do you work? Right. Everybody's laughing at that one. It's so crazy because it's so, it's such a grind, but it's so worth it. And it's so much fun. And for me, the best part of this job is just getting to talk to people like you and listen to just such wonderful and diverse stories. Um, and, and you've done a lot of these things. I hope this one was special for you. It was special for me. And we got to do a round two. And I know people are always asking you about your past and how you got started. But I'm curious, what's next for Susan Johnston? I know I keep talking about space, but I want to go to space. So That's a p- distinct possibility in 2022. And I also, but I'm telling you, I want to bring stories to space. So stories can be visual, they can be sound, mm-hmm. um, uh, they can be crude. So what is next? Um, I think, I know it's going to sound really strange, but a safe community for metaverse. I really think it needs it needs some, it needs some, I don't want to say overseeing, it needs checks and balances. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of stuff in the news right now about um, people being raped in the metaverse and, uh, and and like how to police that because it's like you could always take the goggles off, but then it's like it's still kind of traumatizing because your avatar can't escape and it feels almost the same way as not being able to escape in real life. And from it's, my understanding, it's very they, fascinating. From my understanding, they coded it. So there's a barrier. You can, you can only go so far. There's some couple of stories out there uh, okay. and articles that you can check out. But one of the things that we mentioned on one of our indie talks, we do these indie talks where we're not interviewing a guest mm-hmm. is I think filmmakers should be first to market on advertising in the metaverse. I mean, imagine your film being on the side of a bus that drives by in the metaverse. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Or even drive-ins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Or maybe you own a piece of real estate and you build a theater on it. And in the theater, your movie plays. So, that's so, not crazy. That's like it's, no, it's a not thing crazy. that could happen. So, so you asked me a question and I actually wrote this down today. Um, hmm. I want to make sure that this festival, even though we always gather and we always meet people, but I want it to be more about people. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful to see you on the screen. Yeah. Difference in person. And I don't want to lose that. So the future for me is making sure that people connect in person. Um, and, and honestly, this year is going to be hybrid. It's the first time we're doing hybrid and I have, and and there's two reasons for it. One is I want to, I want to do things in the time zone of the countries that are involved. Like we've got Korea this year and Japan and stuff like that. Not everybody can come here. So, you know what, let their community enjoy them there. Um, I'm testing that. That's why we may end up having 
three days this year, right? Mm-hmm. Because they need the extra day. But again, that's why there there is no try do. There is no fail because I'm figuring it out as we go. Um, but the in person, I want this to be the destination. Like you have to go, even if it's for one day, because the relationships that you will make in that one day will last a lifetime. Like I was just talking to one guy today who he and his wife are best friends with, you know, a guy who like owns the Batman franchise, whose son was at our festival. Amazing. How he met them, you know, and also how, um, you know, I, I care for children, help people in Africa, you know, from a panel that happened at the festival. I mean, these are the things that you're not going to get on a zoom. I'm sorry. You're not. Um, so, so metaverse checks and balances. Um, and I don't want to lose the human connection. I would love to be in person in LA in June. Where are you now? I'm in Nashville, beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love uh, um, I, I used to go to LA every two weeks before COVID. Uh, so I would. I it's would, changed. It's different. I know. It's definitely a different city. I think every though, you know, because the world's changed. Um, <laughs> Nashville's not different. The people here in, in larger Tennessee, they're just willing to die. <laughs> like for whatever um, they believe in. There's like, we're not, we're not changing our lives. Uh, that That's a little bit of hyperbole, but. Let me know if you I, but, come up that you a VIP pass. You are incredible. Yeah, I would. I, I love LA. I would love to come back out there, and I think hopefully things will be better uh, in June. But if there's if there's one thing that you and I can do on this show is to remind people how important the human connection is. Yes. So think of the metaverse as swimming in a pool. Okay. If you stay too long in a pool, you're going to get tired and drown. Yep, or and you'll and you'll have shrinkage. And you'll have shrinkage and your skin's going to get it. And you're <laughs> purple. So, so I kind I just made that up, but I like that analogy. Think of the metaverse like swimming in a pool. That's how long you should be there. Yep. I think that's a really great lesson. And, and don't lose the human connection. It's too important. Yeah. We'll all go crazy without it. It's, it's so, there's a lot of studies that you can read about what happens to people when they're separated from others for too long and uh it's just something we need it's something we've always needed from twelve thousand years ago tired of sitting with themselves me (laughs) yeah ditto (laughs) susan uh this is just incredible uh can you tell everybody i know you've mentioned it a few times throughout the conversation but can you tell everybody one more time where to find you on the internet on social media where they can see some of your work well, and maybe what like book. what, what book, if they had to buy one, they should buy of yours. Well, I don't want them to buy a book. Guess what I want them to do. What? I'm a columnist for Rolling Stone now. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been for about six months. So if you, it's, it's silly, but it's exciting. If you Google Rolling Stone, Susan Johnston, you'll get me. If you follow me there, you'll get pinged each time I write an article, but it'll help me right? Because mm-hmm. they'll keep me. Um, and I really um, like sharing the wisdom with them. So as much as I'd love you to have a book, 
Um, there's one on new media. There's one on, you know, how to get things free in Los Angeles. There's a poetry book. There's one on an image savant, Richard Doc Bailey. Um, the special effects people love that because uh, it's actual communication that we had. He created the SPORE program. Um, so I'm still a geek. And so um, Rolling Stone, Susan Johnston, Google me, follow me, please. But then newmediafilmfestival.com. And just think of that. So I'm New Media Film Festival on Instagram. I'm New Media Film Channel on YouTube because I was building a channel. Um, same thing for Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm Johnston Susan, I think. But just Google Susan Johnston, Media Futurist, and you'll get me. But um, I believe you're that on Twitter as well. Yeah. So, yeah, because Susan Johnston's a pretty pop, uh, common name. But, yeah, so... You know, we're open. We're open to ideas. Um, obviously, constructive criticism. Uh, we we can't do everything that's suggested for reasons that are probably beyond someone's comprehension, but they're very valid for us. You know, we, we have agreements in place with, you know, venues and partners and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe I can't uh, maybe I can't align with that company because I promised this company and we only have one in a sector or, you know, we removed 3D because we really felt that by encouraging 3D, um, we were sending creators in a direction where they, they wouldn't be able to sustain, you know, a professional relationship with that. We retired LGBT because we actually felt uh, maybe the world doesn't feel that way, but we felt that the stories that we were coming in were spot on. They were they were beautiful stories that just happened to be with a gay couple. Um, so we didn't need to, you know, say, okay, you know, you're in this box. No, right. you are in our mind, you are mainstream. Um, we also added faith and family this year. People were asking for it. Um and what does that mean? It means a family member or a faith-based person would feel comfortable watching this film. Mm -hmm. And and it just, it gave a safe place. You know, um, I don't know, I, I don't have the answer why, but I know that that's what they wanted. And it's been lovely to see the stuff coming in. Um, Metaverse, we had anyways under our new media category, but because people were searching Metaverse, we just added that. I don't know if we'll accept anything. Just so you know, if even though we have a category, if people submit and it's not up to par, we don't schedule anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference between our festival and other festivals. If you know, if if they got one submission in TV, they'll show it, mm -hmm. but it may not be worthy for their metrics of their festival. So I don't know. But thank you, appreciate it. I'm sorry, I'm tired. I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> I'm yapping. No, that's awesome. So everyone heard where you can find Susan and please do follow her. And she's got a lot going on and the ascension is real. So uh, get on a moving train, as I was once told by the amazing Jenica Schwartzman. Uh, what did she say? What did she say? Because I would tell people, get on the train. Oops, it's already left the station. You, you, she, she said, you want to get on a train that's moving. That's what everybody wants. So. Absolutely. Do not hesitate. Get on that train. Get Absolutely. on a train that's moving. Like <laughs> yeah, she's great. You can look her up too. Jenica Schwartzman is is the real deal. And she uh, is a L.A. actress mom that um, 
that advocates for mothers on set and sets being more comfortable and easier to deal with for, for actresses and actors that have children. So she's doing great in the world. We'll uh, end on this. For those watching, they've probably noticed a giant painting of a panda behind you, but uh, you also have a metal life-size baby giraffe in your living room. How did you you come to own that? Yes, I do want to see it. (laughs) For those just listening, uh, Susan has left the stage. I'm looking at these two pandas hugging. And she's walked in with <laughs> she's walked in with a gigantic giraffe. Uh, she has she has shown him ass first. Uh, so I I we're looking into the the cracks and crevices of this baby giraffe. Now I can see its beak. It's taller than Susan on screen. How did you come to to own this? This is one of my, this is one of my, it's like, okay, so, um, what's the name of the store? There's my home goods, home goods. So I'm in a home goods and I think I was going down to the rocks, right? So you go away and go to the left and I've got my carriage and I'm, I'm booking it for the rocks. I want to get in and get out. And I see his butt (laughs) and it had a tag on it. All I saw was this butt and it said, $35. (laughs) So I, I didn't even see his face. I picked him up. I put him in my carriage. I turned around. I didn't even get the rug. I went up, I go up and I got the, no. So I got the giraffe looking at the guy and he goes, we're so happy you bought him. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, he's been here for two years. I go, is that why he's $35? He said, yes. (laughs) And to, <laughs> uh, yeah, to the victor go the spoils, and we have a full-on giraffe, and uh, that is amazing. I'm so glad you brought that on camera. Right? He's like uh, the he's like the, he, yeah, he he was meant for me. He really was, and uh, he he looms large over you and the painting right now. And uh, what else looms large is this conversation has been incredible and it has made my day a lot of fun thank you so much yeah susan you're amazing keep fighting the good fight keep keeping it real out there i said keep keep uh continue to keep it real out there and um i look forward to seeing you in june and i look forward to talking to you uh many more times before then well thank you so much for your time i greatly appreciate you it's been fun talking anytime i'll talk to you soon okay all right take care bye You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. 
You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.